welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jake Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week we're looking back on 2020 and trying to keep the focus on comics. Excelsior. We're going to have to try. Um, yeah, that's the rule, Elias. We're only talking about comics. That's the only thing that um, I even remember happening in 2020. Yeah. It's just like uh, there were some comics, and then there weren't some comics, and then there was comics again. The Eternal Cycle. Remember in the 90s? I don't, but remember in the 90s when <laughs> comics almost died? Um, I don't either. I'm, I'm actually one of the people who almost <laughs> killed comics because uh, I was really, as a kid, turned off of the speculator thing. I mean, the speculator thing kind of sucks, but it also feeds that that part of me that's the collector. But I hate the selling part. I'm like, this is going to be value, valuable one day, but I never want to sell it. I ha- know I have that part in me as well, but... I also was uh, taken out of comics by Onslaught being really, really bad and reading it as a kid and as a little kid being like, this is really, really bad. I don't think I like comics anymore. (laughs) And Mark Wade, that's on you, buddy. Yeah, he's had many, many years to have good and bad work. Yeah, he also wrote some of my favorite favorite comics. Mark Wade, that's on you too, buddy. That man contains multitudes. But but Mark Wade didn't really have that uh, impactful of a 2020. No, he didn't. But that's okay. Let's let's we can let new voices speak. Absolutely. Now, before we get into uh, 2020, we're going to turn our attention to something a little more recent. Yeah, we're or, doing. I guess by the time dance. this comes out, it's going to be a little less recent. Well, that isn't that our mo. It's recent when we record, and then by the time it's released, everyone's like, "What the fuck? You're behind." Yeah, yeah. Um, although in this case, I hope uh, it doesn't feel that way because uh, we're talking mostly about books that I hope people remember because I thought they were a blast. Oh, yeah. So with this, it is time for Baseline X. Cue the intro music that we definitely have. Um, It's just a distorted rip of the X-Men theme. The X-Men theme being the animated theme, right? That's like the correct theme for that property? There's another theme. I'm sure there was like a soundtrack in those movies. But... All right. No, okay. I'm I'm actually I'm uh, I'm fronting. I the the soundtrack to X-Men First Class is like pretty good. I think it's Henry Jackman. No, I I don't remember most of those movies. I watched them on VHS. Uh that's fair. Just uh listening to soundtracks while I'm trying to get writing done. I'm just I'm one of those people and X-Men First Class <laughs> is definitely sometimes in the rotation. Hey, soundtracks are good. So, so Baseline time... X, uh if you're a new yeah. listener, how does that work? Baseline X is when Jake and I take all of the X-Men titles that have been published since Jonathan Hickman took over the X-Line. He basically dropped a giant stone into a pool, splashed everything, and as the dust settled, we got all these new series. That was very evocative. Why, thank you. So we have been charting these series since the beginning, which means it includes House of X, Powers of Ten, which we put as one series because they are two series that are one, all the way up through... Now, Ten of Swords, which just wrapped up for the purposes of Baseline X. We are setting the cutoff date for this one as being the final issue of Ten of Swords. Ten of Swords Destruction. That's the last one, right? Yeah, Destruction. Creation Stasis Destruction. Correct. Uh, So for anyone who missed our explanations, we are counting both the individual issues of Ten of Swords because it was one of those good old time every book almost is included and each one is a new part in the whole series so you kind of have to read every (laughs) single issue but you also don't but Uh, you really do 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we're just uh, we might be double counting some of those issues uh, towards the series that they're part of, and also the story as a whole. And that's how mm. we're going to handle this as we go forward. And probably more stories will happen like that before the end of whatever this era of X Men ends up being called retroactively. The reign of X, the Hox Pox Dox Rocks. Uh, and then, but we can't say socks because it's sauce. Um, maybe the saga of X will be the, the last part of the trilogy or something. Oh, let's hope. And then we can, yeah. That would be cool. I'm just saying, yeah, why why not keep this going? All right. Well, I don't really have anything else to say other than we've got 16 titles to rank, uh, and we should probably get through and rank them. And we will discuss, well, we might make small comments in between, but we're going to try to save substantial discussions for after we've done the entire list. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, preamble. So, coming in at number 16, what is your lowest ranked X-Men series? Ooh, we're flipping the positions. My lowest rank, Fallen Angels. Uh, my lowest rank at number 16 is Wolverine. Oh, still. Wow. All right. Number 15, I've got Giant Size. Wow. That feels controversial. I've got Fallen Angels. Oof. Uh, at 14, I've got X-Men Fantastic Four. At 14, I've got X-Force. Oh. Ooh. That surprises me. All right. Well, at 13, I've got wolverine um that surprises me at 13 i've got x-men fantastic four yeah i know uh uh 12 i've got juggernaut 12 i've got giant size x-men and i've got empire x-men at number 11 at number 11 i've got new mutants at number 10 i have new mutants now we're firmly in top 10 times um yeah it's interesting because now my uh, number 10 on my top 10 is juggernaut Hmm. because i'm just not feeling it as much my number nine, X-Force. Um, my number nine is Empire X-Men, a fun miniseries that I keep on looking back on fondly. I'm still burned by those middle chapters. <laughs> uh, number eight, I've got Cable. Number eight, I also have Cable. Right. And number seven, I've got Helians. Helians, Hulians. Uh, number seven, I have X-Men, the main series. Oh, has that fallen since last time? Um. No, it, last time it fell a little bit, and it stayed at that level. It's, oh, okay. been, it's been dropping uh, a little bit every week. Yeah. Not because uh, I don't like it. It's just, uh, well, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and number six, I've got your friend and mine, the Marauders. Um, that is a offensive position. Uh, and number six, I have the recently concluded Ten of Swords. Ooh, I've got Excalibur at number five. I also have Excalibur at number five. And number four, I've got X-Factor. I also have X-Factor at number four. And then number three, I've got X-Men. Uh, this is the one that might surprise you, but if by process of elimination, you might have figured out that at number three, I have Hellions. Yeah, wow. That's gone up. It sure has. All right, number two, I've got Ten of Swords. At number two, I've... Wow, that's a... I'm so excited to talk about this now. At number two, I've got House of X Powers of Ten. And then at number one, I've got the greatest of this era, the undisputed champ. House of X, Powers of Ten. At number one, I have the greatest X book that ever was and ever will be, Marauders. (laughs) Well, you'll be happy to know that Marauders actually did jump up one spot. I'm assuming uh, you really liked the uh, Vita Ayala issue? I did really like the Vita Ayala issue, but I also really liked the two uh, issues that were basically Wolverine having an acid trip. Yeah, it, uh, it fakes you out. I, I completely worked on me. I was completely faked out. Yeah, that once I get that, I'm like, I have to put Marauders higher. That, 
they got me. Yeah, just uh, effective getting you. It's uh, I was so mad. It's hard when uh, I feel like comic fans are so cynical. It's they're yeah. tough to trick. They're always on the lookout for uh, getting burned by it just being a dream or a hallucination or a fantasy. But I really thought that we were seeing like a terrible future and that there was gonna have to be time travel or something. But no, it was just yeah. a trippy vision. Yeah, and it helped that also it was they buried in this recap text the whole page. I'm like, what? Well, that, when did any of this happen? Did I miss a book? Well, that's the fun thing that comes when you have uh, data pages. Yeah. Is storytelling can happen in any part of the comic. You have to be on the lookout. Yeah. And so now I'm going to be reading those recap pages a little bit more carefully. Um, but that was a I, – I just want to compliment it again because that was a really effective moment. Not only because I was like, there's no way – I, I wasn't as fooled as that they were going to keep this, but I was like, what what happened? How did we get here? I'm like, so they clearly skipped a lot on purpose. And then as I was reading more pages, I'm like, oh, he's definitely being punished for trying to kill Saturnine or Opaluna. Uh, you guys but, are on a first name basis, I see. Well, she's on a first name basis with everyone because anyone that she's not, she's killed. <laughs> um. I feel like we're kind of burying the lead here, which is that you had a Ten of Swords in your second-ranked position. Yeah. So I think Ten of Swords, especially this back half, was such it, – it was kind of a not a perfect event, but it cohered in a way that made me excited to continue reading the entire thing and – Reaching the end, it felt satisfying. It it was propulsive, de- right? Yeah, like a, you every it time you developed issue... every series individually while also completing as a whole. And while I do think, I do wish like the stakes at the end were a little bit more dire. Like it's less dire than I thought it was going to be. But that was also because after the first the first part of this second half, I thought it was going to be entirely sword fights. Me too. But no, <laughs> I was completely. But no, he, they throw a curve on. They're like, oh yeah, and now there's going to be an eating competition, and now it's going to be Pog or Pog versus Magic in the upside down world. But it's arm wrestling. Um, yeah, that that twist um, um was they completely like kept that under their hats that we had no idea that a uh, Ten of Swords was going to be all about these different ridiculous like, uh, magical fairy competitions. And, then, and the swords literally don't matter. Yeah, the swords literally don't, don't matter. Um, but, yeah, but it was a total delight. I just, like, collecting swords is fun, and I think that's something that a certain type of comic nerd who's really into X-Men right now probably likes, is collecting 20 magical swords. Oh, yeah. As, and um, I love it when my superhero comics are constructive, and at the end of the story, you want to read the next one because they just added all these interesting ideas. And so often in the last 20 years, superhero comics have been destructive. They've been built on, uh, look, we killed off Robin in the Batman comic. Don't you want to pick up that issue? But then what do you do with the story after that? You just have uh, – it's the same story we've told 100 times. Batman's sad that Robin's dead, right? Yep. But at the end of this, there's so many new story opportunities. The characters that died um, – are now coming back in a constructive way, right? Like uh, later issues uh, can explore uh, the resurrected Gorgon and Rockslide, for example. Yeah. Um, Cypher, a character who has long perplexed writers who don't know what to do with him. They're just like, let's get him married to like this weird giant alien mutant babe who's 10 feet tall with a sword. And she's the only person he can't understand her language. 
But everyone else can. Yeah, but everyone else can, and what does that mean? Just, like, all of these uh, characters or situations that were um, neutral are suddenly exciting. Like, uh, it injected so much life into everything, and the entire story had that excitement. It was just, like, building and building and got more and more excited, and then it just kind of ended on a, a satisfying conclusion that sets up even more cool shit. Yeah, and I finally have a better idea of what Opaluna Saturnine is all about. Yeah, how would you what, like, how would you describe really what she's about? I didn't really know what her deal was at, in Excalibur before this. She was just kind of that asshole TM. Yeah, but now now we've gotten to the end. I'm like, oh, okay, I get her now. Well, so like, uh, I still don't like her, but that's that's a good thing. As somebody who um, she's mostly been an Excalibur character in the past, and you've never read Excalibur before this series, no, right? I have not. So, as a new to Excalibur reader, uh, how would you now describe Opaluna Saturnine? Mischievous, kind of sad, really obsessed with power, but not like conquering power. Just this is my space. I will do whatever I want in my space. You can't enter it. Whereas before, I got the feeling like she was testing boundaries and like she really wanted to kind of flex on Betsy. But now it, it doesn't feel as outwardly motivated it's more like she she holds a claim over everything and there's this possessiveness to what she sees as hers um, uh, which includes brian braddock yeah in, in a major uh, so way. she's constantly trying to undermine him and all his friends so that he'll have to come to her and it's manipulative and really scummy but they she does it in such a fun way fun is the wrong word no fun's exactly but... the right word i the way i would describe uh saturnine or the way I, I do if someone asks me is i say that she's if um marvel introduced like titania from a midsummer night's dream as a super villain mm. in 80s x-men yeah that sounds about right she's that a, feels right she's like a fairy queen but like a she's got like kind of a cyberpunk vibe when she's first introduced or, uh, cyberpunk's not quite right either but like a futury groovy outer space mm. vibe yeah um that's not that has not been retained. Um, well, there was a bunch of different versions of her from different from the multiverse. Oh, uh, that's what eighties Excalibur about. It's a it's a grand old time, but um, yeah, this version is like a real uh, uh, mercurial, uh, temptress fairy queen as like a supervillain, and then she's also got like a little bit. Uh, this telling of her feels a little bit heavy metal, like Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, seventies uh, and sixties psychedelic music, right? Yeah. Like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. She seems like a character in a Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that. That's... Yeah, I don't have much more to say about her. Uh, or even Ten of Swords, because... Well, I have a... It was just a good old romp. A lot of my ranking this month reflects how I thought um, each book adapted to being into Ten of Swords. Because being whisked into a crossover is a really... Famously a hard ask for comic writers. Yeah. They've got a plan of how the series should go out. And writing a story is hard. And then just saying, okay, now your story is part of another story. you got to coordinate all this stuff, and how much and how well that's coordinated um, it varies greatly from story to story. I, I listened to a lot of interviews with the people behind this event, and mm -hmm. um, this sounds like they wrote it like you, see, you hear of uh, writer's rooms for TV shows. They were all on a Slack channel pitching each other ideas, uh, brainstorming stuff. They had a running timeline on, like, Google Docs or whatever, um, and they were – working together uh, meticulously and it shows right yeah 
Um, yeah, it really does. And especially when you see like dual credits from creators on different books. Right. Um, but, but nevertheless, um, I thought that what was tough about that is um, my criticisms of Ben Percy's X-Men work has been pretty uh, often repeated on this show. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the event really did him no favors. Like it, the books, his books that he contributed were more exciting than they were when they weren't part of the events because his story ideas aren't as good as the events. And then also his writing really was suffering next to a bunch of stronger writers. Just like his chapters were like noticeably more muddled and incoherent and like less fun. See, I have the opposite. I'm the opposite. Uh, I am the opposite. You, you thought uh, he was much improved? I mean, I, in a way he was improved because the story was more interesting. But I thought his writing stood no, out. No, I, I think – I thought as is reflected in the very – big jumps uh in this this one which help is also helped because there was no new mutes or x factor uh and i'm just not so hot on juggernaut uh but both wolverine and x-force jumped spaces wolverine went up two spaces and x-force like jumped up half the list because I was just ha- – I had such a blast with these two chapters, uh, and they were one right next to each other. Uh, and I don't know. There was something about Wolverine getting drunk with Storm and then having to fight while completely hammered against someone who was trying to just take his head because he accidentally had killed the person's son. I I just had so much fun with that, and – I think Percy does understand Wolverine. He's just... I agree that. I, I never agree really, with that. He doesn't really know what to do with Wolverine. At least in... Like you said, the Wolverine book feels like it could happen at any time, and that's why it's so painful to read. Not because it's necessarily bad, bad, but that it's not capitalizing on the new status quo in a way that would make it far more interesting than it is. And I think... Being part of this event really helped those books. And so, I mean, this this month really shows a, a recency bias in my list. And I, I did that on purpose. I really upped it, uh, upped the recency on, on a lot of the titles, which is why, like, Ten of Swords leapfrogged over X-Men. Because I was like, the X-Men chapters this time were good, but not great. And X- Ten of Swords as a whole, I thought was, if not brilliant, so much fun. And the kind of thing that really could only happen because the X line is so not tightly controlled, but so integrated. Like if the, every, anytime you, I see these crossovers that have multi parts across multiple books, I roll my eyes and I'm like, fine, whatever. Like the Spider-Man stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. And it, it, usually it's okay. But this, this felt like an event, an event that needed to have every book, and it didn't necessarily interrupt the other books in the same way. Well, okay, but that might also I, be because so I disagree I did with that. I think uh, book. one book in particular got really badly interrupted. Well, X Factor. Uh, well, two, I guess a couple books, but um, the uh, one I was thinking of was because I, I agree, X Factor got interrupted, but Hellions got really interrupted. Um, yeah, and Hellions had to become a completely different book for this entire event. Um, and it was brilliant, and it completely retained the core of what that book is like. And you just, 
reading that issue, you get what was, this Hel- Hellion yeah. series is about, and you get what um, the series is supposed to be, and you understand that this could be this should be a core X title. Hellion should never go away. Like having this um, villain team of X Men who's like kind of allied with them, but they all have their own agendas. And it was such a weird diversion, but I loved every minute of it. The only reason Hellions did not jump more is because I loved Excalibur and Marauders more, and X Factor has so much goodwill built up that it I don't think it's falling anytime soon. 100%. So like, the, that's the only reason Hellions has not is not higher on my list, is because I thoroughly enjoyed the other books more well just a recency bias um i just hellions blew me away with how uh, it pulled off being part of the event and um mm-hmm. how it now just feels like another beat on a in, in this it feels like an ongoing comic in a way that a lot of ongoing comics don't because the market doesn't really support ongoing comics like it used yeah. to yeah um yeah and um hellions feels like it's like starting a, an ongoing series that should run for 20 years and that means that it can jump into an event and not miss a beat and just keep on pl- uh, playing at the soap opera character beats and having Mr. Sinister betray everybody and be a fish out of water in like a fantasy uh, sword and sorcery setting for a couple issues. And that's just what happens in comics. It's not like a big deal yeah. or anything. Don't be weird. <laughs> of all of the X titles that have come out since House of X Powers of 10, well, maybe that's not fair because the first round, everything was kind of a surprise. I was like, I didn't know what to expect. But Hellions, Helions, Hulians has been the surprise X book. Because I, you remember, we were talking about it. Kevin was talking about it when it was first announced. We were all like, all right, I guess I'll give it a shot. Uh, we weren't super thrilled with Zeb Wells' previous work. Well, I was about Ant-Man. to – excuse me and let me correct you. I uh... – I was not that excited because I thought that the book – I was worried the book was going to be incoherent, and I wasn't that interested in the characters. But I was very excited about Zeb Wells because I am a big Zeb Wells booster and defender. Fair enough. I, I've i only read a couple of his series, but he's – and I guess I've seen some Robot Chicken. Um, Zeb Wells was one of the guys who was on Robot Chicken? He, I think he, co- he co-created it. That makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Um, He's also married yeah, so... to my favorite current SNL cast member. Who? Uh, Heidi Gardner. She makes me oh. laugh. <laughs> I think she's great. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I didn't dislike Zeb Wells, but I was not overly enthused about the existence of this book, and now I can't imagine a world without it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this book is really um, occupying where the X Force uh, spot of the last ten or so years, uh, like the yeah. the darker X book about the uh, unlikable characters that has like a real fun dynamic because you know, they're so unpredictable. Um, Cable and X-Force, it feels a lot like this, and Uncanny X-Force. And if you haven't read those, that would be a strong book club contender. I think you get a lot out of those. Maybe one day. We've got how many books? On our list? Like 60,000? So many books on this list. Um, we're, we're good for decades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, I'm not worried about running out of books. But who knows? Sometimes you get excited. Um, anything else? Yeah, I, just, I guess I wanted to mention that. I thought X-Men... Um, I feel the exact same way you described it. It wasn't that those were like weak issues by any means, but they just kind of felt like um, X. It feels like X Men is the support to make all these other crazier books happen. So it's like not as exciting. It's a lot of information and backstory that's interesting and um, expands upon stuff, but it's not a uh, thrilling in the same way. Yeah, and issue fourteen was okay. It was fine. It it was. I forget who did. I, the art was reused. With new captions, it was meant to call back and, and reference the last time we saw 
we had the story of Arako, but it was told from, instead of Apocalypse's perspective, it was from uh, Annihilation's perspective. Not Annihilation. Who's under the Annihilation helm? Um, Genesis Apocalypse's is her name. wife. Genesis. Right. Because destruction and creation. Yeah, it's, it's subtle, <laughs> you see. <laughs> yeah, but then, well, we also have Exodus. Now I'm waiting for Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to show up. Oof. Uh, we're going to have a whole Bible team. <laughs> I'm really waiting for the book of uh, Ovadia, of Obadiah, to show up. Um, he'll be in for one issue, and then he'll be dead. <laughs> yeah, we're going to... I know for a fact that the... Uh, Bible and comic book podcast fandoms uh, overlap a lot more than some people might think. <laughs> so we're really uh, making a cynical play to that uh, demographic. Give us uh, your sweet, sweet uh, listening dollars. Your ears, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. What might call them. Um, yeah. We should move on before we, should move on. we <laughs> devolve thing, completely. And the only other thing I wanted to say was that um, – uh, Pertaining to New Mutants, uh, Cypher is a New Mutants character, and he got married mm -hmm. in this event, and I just thought that was a killer storytelling move. I talked about it a little bit, and I'm, like, really excited to see where that's going. He, It's, um, what a funny mismatch. I can, I love the idea of, Doug Ramsey's always been, like, uh, he was, when he was first introduced, he and Kitty Pride used to go to the mall to buy computer parts in the 80s. God. But so he's like that That's kind amazing. of nerd, and at other times he's had like real like creepy incel vibes, depending on who's, who's writing him. So you always get the feeling that he's like the kind of nerd who could go who who could go wrong, you know, the one you're worried yeah. about. He's got a lot of uh, uh, introversion problems. So suddenly putting him in this uh, marriage to this like Amazonian mutant demon lady is such a funny situation because he would totally go along with that marriage because he's like uh, horny and insecure, but he would totally not thrive in that situation because he's shy and uh, isn't very take charge. Yeah. And I, I got the vibe at least from these issues that he's very, I mean, he was kind of literally pushed into it, but he, he wasn't, angry he I'm... he kept on not saying i love you he kept on saying i'll tell you that i love you after the battle yeah and they've known each other for like a day and a half yeah and they haven't had a conversation very... yet yeah i just this is all great i think this is all such great drama uh, it's so justified by the insane storytelling decisions <laughs> and to create yeah. this ins uh, insanely soap operatic problem and this being the se and it being the second battle was perfect right because that's the twist that makes you realize that um that how this is gonna go and then uh, the, the the other moment that really shocked me was when it was the fight to the death with wolverine versus summoner and wolverine kills summoner and thus loses the fight because it's a fight to the death so you win by dying <laughs> yeah that one that... i was just like oh my god so anything can happen and after that nothing surprised me i was also that was the point where i was also like ah so the games are rigged. Right. But I lied because then I was really surprised by Gorgon going down like a champion fighting 100 guys. That was a killer moment. And it was great because he's been so poorly characterized, but he's been around. They haven't let you forget about him that you're just like, I guess he likes fighting. He's going to get into a fight, I guess. And it's like, yeah, he's going to get into a really cool fight. End of the story. It's a story about a guy who wanted to get into a cool fight, and he did. And he was carrying two swords. Yeah, two swords, because he's twice as cool as everyone else there. Except yeah. he's half as cool as Pogger Pog. 
Yeah, no, Pog or Pog, and the twist with Pog or Pog. Yeah, and again, I'm obsessed with the fact that Pog or Pog is now just an interdimensional mercenary who exists out there. Like, someone's going to be like, let's do a Silver Surfer comic and have him fight Pog or Pog. It's just going to happen someday. It's going to be the the first person to do it is going to get a million fandom points with a really I'm, hardcore I'm part of comic. I'm very excited for yeah. that. Just be the first person to use Pog or Pog as a one-off villain in your Spider-Man comic. We will love you for it. Please. Please do it. We want more Pog or Pog. Everyone wants more Pog or Pog. He rhymes. He's a four-armed crocodile. He's a tiny crocodile inside a big crocodile that he calls his sword, which is not a sword. I don't know. It's a weapon, at least. Yeah, it's like a robot crocodile suit made out of magic, I suppose. I was going to say, it's not It's not a robot. I thought it was just literally a crocodile suit made of organics. Um, yeah, there's so much. Look how much Pogger Pog lore there is to explore comic book writers. How does the suit even work? You could be the one to, to um, one day when they make the Pogger Pog movie, you're going to be the one who they have to give a very special thanks to in the credits and then not pay for your work. Don't you want that? That could be you. Maybe by that time, Disney will have... Uh you know been split up by antitrust laws wow that was the most optimistic i'm a young millennial socialist with big dreams and i haven't been uh, stomped to death by society i hope i've ever heard i can dream jake uh, i can I, dream uh, no i commend you i wish i could dream i dream of dreaming <laughs> Anyway, the last thing I have to say about um, Baseline X this month is that next month I'm so excited to have a new number two book on my list, uh, which is going to be Sword by Al Ewing. Watch that first issue disappoint you. It's going to disappoint me so bad. My expectations are sky high. (laughs) He's bringing Manifold back into things. Manifold. I love that kid. I'm I'm very – I'm ready for – Sorry, I lost my train of thought because I was looking at my my list. I'm ready for Sword to be very good, but I'm also very ready to have my entire list change again because I'm looking at it. And for a while, so I color code my list. I stole your color coding. You did. Uh, There was a lot of yellow, which means nothing moved uh, relative, which gets difficult when you introduce new series, but I try. Uh, And this month, the only two that were yellow were Fallen Angels and House of X Powers of Ten. Everything else moved, yeah, my, either um, up or down, and I have a feeling that's going to happen again, and things are probably going to settle back into what it looked like last month. My uh, top two and my bottom five don't move that often. It, uh, it Wolverine got dragged from the bottom. We'll uh, we'll see next month when Wolverine doesn't have this event to hide behind. Ben Percy, I'm really sorry for coming at you, my guy. I think you're a cool guy, and I think you have a lot of uh, talent. I just think that your comic book scripts need a lot of work. And I hope you get there one day, my guy. Yeah, yeah. And this is coming from the person who, well, you didn't, but I, I did. I loved his Green Arrow stuff and the Nightwing stuff before it was brutally destroyed and I read an dragged issue... into the Rick Grayson era. I read an issue of each of them. I think the issue I read was a Rick Grayson one, so I can't really comment uh, on it. I will seek out that run. There because... was one Rick Grayson issue he wrote. That that might, I think that's Number the only 50. one I read. Yeah, then uh, Nietzsche and Lobdell That sounds took right. Over. Whatever, this isn't and a DC Booth? podcast. This isn't Make Mine uh, DC. Multiversity. Make Mine Direct Competition. No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, well. So we should move on to our second recurring segment. That's right. So now it's time for us to um, announce who our um, heavyweight 
championship of the world are. Um, that was a really um, excellent sentence construction. But so next segment is, is our um, heavyweight championship. This is where uh, every month our favorite book um, is the reigning champ, and it battles every other book that Marvel puts out that month. And if another book can dethrone it, then they get the belt, and they reign as champ, and they have a, to look forward to a month of battling. So uh, Elias and I are going to reveal to each other our um, our heavyweight champions, and um, if there isn't a title change, if the champ remains uh, with you know uh, in their yeah. in their position, then um, we will maybe mention a couple of contenders. We're challengers to the throne. Hell yeah. This is the issue, the so. episode where we really like over-explain the rules to all our segments. But that's the best part. <laughs> it's what people come here for. Um, I will take your word for it in your infinite <laughs> wisdom. Anyway, Elias, who is your uh, – what's your heavyweight champ? What's your reigning book, the best book that Marvel's putting out right now? Uh, the best book that Marvel is putting out right now, Power Pack number one. Whoa, that's such a good pick. I loved that issue. I it's so good. What's Brian that dethroning? North, what was your uh champion last month? I think it dethroned Immortal Hulk the Threshing Place. Yes, 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 that's I correct. I think that was last month. Yeah. So a one but, shot uh had a brief reign but was immediately dethroned yeah. by the first issue of uh this Power Pack series, which I cannot argue with. That Power Pack ruled. Yeah. I I still love the threshing place, but I got to the end of Power Pack and I was like, "This is number one now." I had so much fun. It actually capitalized on Outlawed in a way that I don't think any of the other books that are in that status quo have done well. Sorry, champions. It just felt so natural. Uh, yeah, and I don't. I didn't like the previous Power Pack miniseries. Uh, sorry, Jeremy Whitley. <laughs> I just didn't love it. But, uh, you're talking about the... Uh, uh, but it was unfairly canceled. It was the Future I'm Foundation I'm one? That. Oh, yeah, that was Future Foundation. Um, yeah, so that Power was... Power Pack a, was in it. It had a bunch of Power Pack characters in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that was kind I of a messy it. series that I uh, I thought had a lot of heart and I liked. But, yeah, this is already... Uh, this is already, like, a great book. You can tell this is going to be great. What I loved yeah, about it, it is... I, I think that a lot of... Because we're living in such, like, a surveillance culture and world right now... Um, comic book writers are always really quick to throw away secret identities. They're like, I don't know. Someone probably would have taken a cell phone picture and figured out he's the Hulk. And yeah. like uh, Iron Man and Captain America, they all used to have to protect their secret identity. And that was like a fun convention. And they had to like lie to all their loved ones. And this is just like a, a genre convention that I enjoy watching writers have to do new stuff with. <laughs> and without so this power pack and power pack has the funnest secret identity because it's four siblings whose parents don't know that they're superheroes so they're constantly having to make excuses to cover uh to their parents and then sneak out like the powerpuff girls yeah it reminds me of the new 52 Sh shazam yeah 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 or the which, shazam movie the or the shazam movie which definitely took cues from power pack power pack is like the oh, yeah. the classic uh kids sneaking out to be superhero story um, yeah, it's what a, so much fun. Yeah, and what a delight. It's really funny. Um, the little kids are all different and well-written. <laughs> um, and they tapped Nico Leone to do the art. Oh, yeah. Perfect choice. Perfect choice. I hope Nico Leone stays on as the main artist, too, because I well, have— it's a miniseries. Okay. I um, don't even so... know what that is anymore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's an ongoing that got canceled? Yeah, could, maybe it may maybe it was they were they handed no, it, it. It was announced as a, as a miniseries prior to COVID. I'm suspicious. Uh, no, it was because it was part of Outlawed, and they were like, "It's a four issue series, something." Well, I hope they turn it into an ongoing then. And same. 
And Outlawed is still a cool idea, and I like that there's a bunch of books doing different stuff with the premise. That's always a fun way they do non-events, just like uh, imprints, I guess, labels. Yeah, or like a one-shot that kicks off you know, something that's going on, uh, like Inhumanity, I guess. Be I, I don't I blocked that event from my mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't say I'm um, – I go so far to say I'm tempted to change my answer to Power Pack, but that's like a really good choice. But I do got to say that my um, – so for me, my number one since we've introduced this feature has been Daredevil. Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky has been my inaugural uh, reigning champion. I think one of my favorite – it's still amazing. Yeah, one of my favorite books of the year. It hasn't lost a step. Um, this will be coming out in a couple months, so this is going to be a couple months old spoiler at this point. But in the most recent issue that we've read um, – Electra just debuted in her Daredevil costume, something that's never happened before in the series. So cool. Did I just spoil that for you on the air? No, no, no. I read it. So cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, Ch- Chichetto uh, did was, – was Chichetto on this? It was Chichetto on 1,000%. Oh, so good. Yeah. It was, it's a great costume. Uh, her hair looks incredible, and um, it's a great idea. It seems so obvious to make Electra Daredevil, but it's never happened before. And now you can I, see I them. sense a butt coming. No, no butt. And now you can just, you can see them doing this for an arc and or a couple arcs or like uh, the rest of the series for forty eight issues or for you know years and years. It's just like it's such a great idea. Um, Too true. I guess my butt is that butt. Daredevil is no longer the champion and no longer has my heavyweight belt. That was what I meant. That was like I'm sensing there's there's a there's a caveat to to all this. Daredevil praise. Yeah, uh, because my number one book has become Shang-Chi. Oh, shit. By Gene Luen Yang. Have you been reading this book, Elias? I just caught up on it. Um, I take it by your reaction. You're also very enthusiastic. I am. Um, I love Gene Luen Yang. um, He's great. I, I, I sometimes with comic writers, I forget how much I love them, and then I read something because I heard it was good. I'm like, oh, who wrote this? Oh, that guy I like? No way. Um, and that's who, that Gene Luen Yang is quickly uh, leaving that status too. I can't miss anything that he writes. He's so good. I have to catch up on anything I've ever missed by him. What a superstar. Um, this book is great because it, um, if you're coming to it, uh, Elias, do you know Shang-Chi? Are you like a big Shang-Chi fan? You know his story? No. Right. So you're, but you're coming to this book and you're getting that there's a bunch of different elements of the types of Shang-Chi stories there are. And they all seem like they're coherently part of one character, right? So there's, like, weird martial artist cult stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, like, ninja assassins who are, like, it feels like an Assassin's Creed, right? Are, like, lurking and have these ancient conspiracies in, like, modern society using these yeah, techniques. Yeah, he had an abusive father. And... Yeah, and, and that he's the abusive father is part of the cult story. Um, but then there's also, um, like, a super spy part of it where he's, like, teaming up with MI6 and he's, like, going after arms dealers and he's, like, jumping out of burning helicopters, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's this third very superhero Spider-Man thing where he, like, has an apartment and he works at a bakery and uh, he's just, like, trying to have, like, a small-time simple life because he's, like... Escape from a cult and uh, living a normal life is kind of like a struggle for him, and it's really gratifying to just, like, have an apartment and a job and a girlfriend. That's all he wants. Um, Mm -hmm. But he keeps on getting sucked into cult stuff and into super spy stuff. 
And that's what this series is, and I love all of that. I love spy stuff when it's really good, and I love uh, ninja martial arts magic. And just, like, you put all that together into one amazing series that's just got, like, a big heart, and it's culturally specific to all the uh, different parts of Asia that, that they're visiting on their tour of uh, meeting his, like, uh, rescued cult siblings. It's freaking the best. I don't have anything else to add. It's just a ton of fun, and everyone should check it out. And this is another series that I hope actually is an ongoing i think they announced it as a mini but i hope this gets extended it's one that definitely deserves it well it's a great series and they have a movie to hype so maybe they should yeah. uh, start pumping out stories by gene luen yang so they can make like 16 sequels like they want and so this this is his first book from marvel because he had been at dc for a while he did new superman he did bits of the end of the new 52 superman uh era and he did a, Which was great. I really enjoyed all that stuff. It was the weirdest stories that sound terrible on paper, and they were all fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And then Bendis rehashed bits of it again. Because it was so good. He yeah. Because it was undone by Rebirth, and everyone's like, oh, just stop. And then he took over the Terrifics from Jeff Lemire. Yeah, and that was also fantastic. I was reading that as well. I uh, think my favorite was the Choose Your Own Adventure issue. Um... Yeah, and that's been done a hundred times, and he did it as good, if not better. Yep, I haven't read all of uh, so, New Superman. Actually, both of both writers that we that we picked uh, for these books have both done a choose your own adventure issue. <laughs> that's true. I guess that shows our sensibilities for twenty twenty, yeah. <laughs> or for this month at least. Uh, we should talk about twenty twenty, but I think before that, we should probably take a commercial break. Yep. See you when we get back. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And uh, welcome back. So um, for the rest of the show today, we thought that uh, as this episode is due to drop on January 1st of 2021, uh, Elias and I kind of wanted to reflect back on our first year, a little less than a year, doing this podcast and the first year of Marvel books that we've been covering. Uh, we've been f using a lot of our time to focus on Marvel books of the past uh, in our book club, but we also uh, keep up with Marvel on a month-to-month -month basis. And so we kind of – we're going to have like a looser than picking our top ten books or anything like that. Just have a couple of ideas and categories and pick our books from them and explain why – we thought that this was like a really special or disappointing or surprising book this year. Uh, yeah. And this is to help also, you know, be a little bit more, not current, but also to get us away from all of the heavy, heavy X-Men uh, talk, even though we may see some repetition of creators because what half their line at this point is X titles again. <laughs> That's insane if that's true. I mean, yeah, just we we really love X Men right now, and we're gonna. It's not surprising that we spend so much time talking about it and covering it. But there's other Marvel stuff that we like, and we wanted to uh, give a shout out to that. So, simply to start, Elias, uh, what was your just like best series, your best ongoing comic series for the year 2020? 
it it has to be Immortal Hulk. Because much as I love many, many others, Immortal Hulk was, was and continues to be the series that every time a new issue comes out, I have to read it the week or even like before I read most of the other stuff. Uh, you know, I just have to because I don't want to be behind on it. I mean, it also helps that I want to be able to make snarky jokes for Saturday morning panels about it. So I try to read it very early, but it's one of those books that I absolutely love. It scratches the horror. It's I don't love horror movies, but horror comics and horror books are they get me. They get me in the good. And I wrote about it. I've written I've written about Immortal Hulk before. And you've written about Immortal Hulk before. I sure have. On our best of you. It, there's a reason why it's won both 2018 and 2019 best ongoing series for the site. It's well thought out. It's epic. It really captures what makes superhero comics with long histories work as opposed to ones that don't. And I want to read 100 issues of this, maybe I, more. Something I specifically liked about Immortal Hulk in 2020 was um, – 2020 was the year that it felt like it started earning uh, other elements of the Hulk mythos. It started off yeah. completely forging its own path, doing something completely unique uh, with a, a unique tone. Then it started bringing in some deep cut characters like Sasquatch and uh, what's the the mind control Zemnu? The leader. Uh, the, oh, no. yeah, 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 Zemnu. And Zemnu and um, Dar uh, Dario the Minotaur, right? It's like bringing in the, some deep-cut uh, Hulk characters or some supporting so characters. Fun fact about Zemnu. Yeah. Zemnu debuted in 1960. Yeah, yeah. The, I, the Hulk debuted in 1962. <laughs> uh, I had forgotten that, but I did. Yeah, there's a couple of monsters that uh, the Hulk got, like, grandfathered in. Uh, I think Zax is another one. He predates the Hulk. Yeah. Well, but Zemnu was called Hulk in the issue he debuted in, which is why he they play on that. I did not the, catch in... that. That is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, freaking good series. But So what I love is 2020 uh, is the year when they put the leader in and Jennifer Walters, uh, She-Hulk, becomes a member of the supporting cast. But, like, some of the most popular and famous parts of Hulk series, uh, he finally, like, earned his, his right to do his – not earned, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he built up to um, – mm -hmm. He used his own ideas, and now he's taking these uh, very played-out ideas and doing his own twist on it, like, in the themes that he set up earlier in this crazy, amazing ongoing that's been going on so much longer than Marvel stuff usually does. Yeah. I mean, we've we also got, like, Devil Hulk. I don't know what his deal is. We got World War Hulk Hulk. Uh, or, or Scarrow Hulk. Yeah, uh, Devil Hulk is from Back 80s then. comics. Is from the Peter David run. Oh, wow. Oh, so like Joe Fixit era? Yeah, he's part of the Joe Fixit stories. Um, so yeah, Immortal Hulk, just absolute blast. If you don't like body horror, this is not the series for you, which is unfortunate because I really do think everyone should be reading it. But if if you're squeamish with body horror, definitely give it a pass because they go hard. This would be under the max imprint. Elias, I'm gonna. Uh, I take great pleasure in getting people who are like uh, it, it, think that they're not into horror movies into horror movies, and I, um, you're now on my invite to horror movie night list. No, I, I can't do it. We're very I mean, supportive. I'll, I'll show up and 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 have and have fun, but like, it's, it's the volume, man. Um, don't do loud noises. Okay, well that's that's a good thing to know. Um, 
Yeah, I love uh, I love Scaredy Cats. I think they're great movie. <laughs> um, my best series of 2020 uh, is not Immortal Hulk, but I cannot argue with anything you said. And it's a wonderful pick. But as for me, I of course picked I feel Daredevil. Like I've got an idea of what it is. Yeah, I picked Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky. I talked about it in this episode. I talked about it in many episodes. Um, I guess what I love about it is. Uh, ongoings at Marvel either have really unique takes like Immortal Hulk does or they really tout having a back-to-basics approach. And yeah. um, and the back-to-basics approach, like a, when Nick Spencer took over on Amazing Spider-Man, they were like, yeah, he's living in an apartment with Mary Jane. It's back-to-basics. And uh, a bunch of the X-Lines before Hickman, they announced back-to-basics. But back-to-basics is always disappointing. Um, Daredevil didn't tout that at all, but that's really what it is. It's all of these ideas, Daredevil being on trial, Daredevil being in jail, uh, Daredevil not knowing whether he can trust Elektra, Kingpin knowing Daredevil's secret identity or not knowing his identity. All of these things um, have been done before, but they're just being done so well that this is now like my definitive of all these Daredevil stories. And I love Daredevil. I think there are very few bad Daredevil runs and few bad Daredevil comics. Mm-hmm. But this one's so good, it's going to be hard to recommend a bunch of the other ones because this tells the similar ideas so much better. Having not read most of the others, I can't comment on that. But I can comment on how successful Chip Zdarsky and the whole team, uh, because I think this year wasn't just Marco Cicchetto. No, Um, there was a number of artists, but Cicchetto uh, taking the lead and doing the most issues. Yeah. It's been... I haven't been this invested in a character in a long time, especially not Daredevil. And I liked the Charles Soule run and uh, the Wade Samney run before that, but this, his stuff feels special. And this year in particular has been amazing, especially because we've just had two years of, of Daredevil wrestling with accidentally killing this guy. Like, that's what the first issue kind of ended with. Either him denying it and being like, no, it never happened, and then coming to terms with it. But now it's, how does a hero do penance? And, yeah. and that's it's through... also wrapped up in all this Catholic guilt. And and, the, and legal system stuff, too. Like, um, he's, yeah. he's really trying to... Um, it's like... Um, it's managing to have a conversation, and I, I would love to look at the timing of this, about when's it happening based on what's being talked about in the news... But it's about, like, when somebody who's enforcing the law or justice or the peace, whatever you want to call what superheroes do, um, makes a mistake, like an honest mistake, and somebody dies because of it. And a lot of the the so-called accidental police shootings, I think you can uh, argue by uh, how much responsibility there is. But there's certainly some situations that are frustrating when somebody uh, – something happens accidentally and there's still no consequences. And what should the consequences be? That's a more a more – dubious moral question that I think some people struggle with. And this book has some really strong and powerful things to say. And Matt Murdock is... It's one thing to to have this same thing be like the Punisher, I killed someone innocent. Or just the Punisher killed someone. Versus Daredevil killed someone. It's a very different story. Well, and there's that group, amazing moment. I did, was it Luke Cage or Spider-Man who implied that, like, yeah, we, every so often people die. Like, accidents happen. We're punching people in the face with super strength. It's like a chaotic situation. I, Sometimes people die, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" They, you know, they don't like I to talk about it. I don't think it was Spider Man. I think it was Luke Cage. Because Spider Man was ready to take Daredevil in, right? And there's been uh, lines in Spider Man before where Spider Man talks about he knows exactly how much strength to use to not uh, break people, which um, I'm just gonna say is one of his superpowers. 
Um, anyway. I mean, he did start as a teen. Yeah. Um, Daredevil is my uh, book of the year. I really just captured 2020. It was the one book that uh, I I feel like you do about Hulk. I mean, not the one book, but like Daredevil is my the first read when it comes out. I get more excited about it than I do all the X stuff and Hulk and all the other great stuff that Marvel does that I really enjoy. We're going to read um, Brubaker's Devil in Cell Block D, I think. That's the Daredevil arc we should read from that era. That's my very favorite. Okay. And it's very similar to what Zdarsky's doing, so it would be fun to compare as uh, we're reading the Zdarsky, because it's about um, Matt Murdock goes to jail on suspicion of being Daredevil pending trial with no bail. Wow. Um, so they don't know that he's Daredevil definitively, but pretty much everyone knows he's Daredevil. So Matt Murdock is in jail, and everyone else in jail with him is Daredevil villains. Kingpin's in there, um, and, um, you know, like Hammerhead, and just like all these uh, weird Daredevil villains are in jail, and he put them there, and they know it, and they're trying to shank him, and he's got to, like, pretend to be a blind guy while he's being surveilled 24-7 by guards. Oh, wow. It's just like, That's yeah, wild. it's the tensest, most exciting version of that story I've ever seen. It's a really uh, lots of fights in the locker rooms and stuff. Apologies for the noise in the background. The upstairs has begun. Um, yeah, Elias is in his new digs, so he's uh, getting used to his new setup. Yeah, uh, so there might be some more background noise. We'll try to cut out as much as we can, but people know the score. Everyone, people, our listeners yeah. are very loving. Um, but yeah. we're not always loving. Sometimes, um. <laughs> Oh, I jumped ahead uh, a category. But you we're... did jump a little bit. First, um, first we got to talk about what surprised us the most in a good way. Yeah, year. a pleasant surprise, not a um, unpleasant surprise. I uh, I got very pessimistic, and I apologize. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to? You go first, Elias. What was your uh, most pleasant surprise in Marvel 2020? So, it was both the entire series but i'm gonna f just focus on this one issue uh and it was the uh x-men issue of marvel's snapshot by jay editon right by jay editon now we talked a little bit about this when uh it was last time or or maybe whenever whenever it had come out and i'd finally read the dang thing but it's i don't like cyclops i never have uh even reading Astonishing X-Men, I still don't really like him. Oh, he's so fun in that. He kind of sucks. He does suck. I but love him. this issue, this issue made me like Cyclops. God damn it. Well, it's written by the world. Jay Edison this... is famously, if you don't listen to lots of other comic podcasts, the world's number one Cyclops fan. Um, I think it's fair to say. So, um, well, it shows. Right, so you're reading a, a book. Of the, the person who loves Cyclops the most is uh, writing what might be their only uh, shot of writing a Cyclops story. So how do you put all that love on the page? That's what that looks like. So really, uh, that's a cool pick for your your most pleasant surprise. I um, I am a very regular listener of uh, J. Miles' Explain the X-Men, and I don't miss an episode. So I was looking forward to that issue. They talked about it every week, and I had a lot of anticipation. I can't say I was surprised by it, but I, I think it was great. Oh, I I was. I was. That's cool. I mean, that's a cool surprise. I, that's, I know. That's like I a know, fun experience. Uh. I know Jaden just from seeing him around the internet, but reading the issue was something entirely different. And and basically almost every issue of Marvel Snapshot has been like that because I think I really like the Kurt Busiek style of storytelling. I do too. Which is very humanist. Very day in the very life. Focused on, yeah, it's the guy on the street or 
the person on the street walking down or an unusual person seeing, living caught up in, in the their world routine. of superheroes. Hmm? Or an unusual person, but they're caught up in their routine. Yeah. That's a type of story he likes. Yeah. And it's not that it feels... It, cozy. I think cozy is the right word. You reach the end. Wow, I've never thought about that. Not always. But that's a really good... Um, I know people who like cozy fiction um, who probably would be into Curfew Six Stories. That's like a great recommendation thing. That's a good good librarianing, yeah. Elias. That is a li- <laughs> the skill of librarian in, in practice, dear listeners. Why, thank you. But yeah, all of the Marvel snapshots, they're different team members, but... I've I've been enjoying the entire the entire anthology, uh, but this one in particular kind of got me uh, pleasantly surprised, and I would love to see more Cyclops written by Jay Edit, and I wonder if he's going to be brought into. Uh, oh, it's, uh, my brain just went to do. You're you're switch. thinking like do like a a Reign of X book or something. Yeah. That would be pretty rad. Even I would just a mini series. I would read the hell out of that, and Jay would crush it because, like I said, just like dude's the number one Cyclops fan. But um, yeah. uh, I think he's kind of more of a critic, and that's how he boosts himself. Fair enough. Um, he was an editor for a while. I know that. That's true. Just um, I, but yeah, who would say that at the opportunity? What am I saying? Whatever. I, it's not yeah. cool to speculate, I guess. But um. But yeah, I would read the hell out of that too. That was a great issue, and um, I'm glad you picked it because I didn't like think to highlight it. But um, that was definitely a big highlight of the year for me. Was a podcaster whose work yeah. I really love doing a comic I really really love that I think they really really love making, and that's just like it makes me happy. Um, yeah, my most pleasant surprise has to do with um, a character who I um, don't normally care for, which has been difficult for me for a bunch of reasons. Oh. Um, who I thought had a one of the best, probably my favorite series of. That focuses on them of all time. And that is, is Black Widow by Kelly Thompson. Oh! Um, so I just want to... Yeah. Black Widow's a pretty famous superhero now, so I kind of want to defend my um, my Black Widow opinion. Um, Go for it. I mean, I know exactly why you picked this book, but... Uh, I think that... Um, there's so many reasons I picked this book. This book is groovy and amazing. Um, Black Widow as a character, when I remember her from the comics... The conflict with Black Widow is always, can you trust her? And she's always shows up in, as uh, she's usually somebody's ex-girlfriend because she'll show up in a Daredevil comic as his ex who's there to tell him to sort up his shit. Or she'll show up in a Hawkeye comic to um, be like, remember that time that uh, you were in love with me and like manipulate him? But um, And she's always a little bit dangerous. And ever since appearing in the movies, we've kind of lost that. And when you wash that away, I don't think there's much character left. Like, uh, she wasn't that deep a character to begin with. And when you take out the... Um, admittedly sexistly toned uh, sense of danger that accompanies her. She is named Black Widow. I'm not, like, uh, making this stuff up, you guys. Yeah. And she initially debuted as a, a villain. <laughs> right. And she talks about vaguely about wanting to atone for uh, the, the sins of her past, but unlike Spider-Man, she doesn't have a, uh, a definitive um, sin that she's trying to atone for. Just, like, she killed people, I think, for Russia at some point, KGB, or she's too young to be in the KGB, so I don't know, question mark. I just feel like Black Widow's kind of um, been a wash of a character, and it's really not been helped by a lot of her series have focused on her fighting, like, dudes in suits with briefcases on trains, just like in the rain, just like dreary spy stuff, and none of it feels very super-y, superhero-y. Um, yeah. or, or particularly modern, it all feels very Cold War. 
Yeah, and I don't mind that throwbacky tone, but um, again, if if she's not duplicitous, which is her main role in a story, um, you have to give her something. And so, what um, what Kelly Thompson gave her was she made her vengeful, and also um, I, she victimized her and then made her vengeful for it in like a real um different type of spy revenge story but like by brainwashing black widow and making her lose her memory in this jason Bourne way and then she has to recover her abilities and now she's going after the people who like uh screwed with her but her abilities were also always there well that's the jason Bourne thing right he doesn't know who he is but he can do all this cool shit yeah um i haven't seen these that's the premise is he's like got amnesia but then he's like oh my god but i know martial arts and i can hotwire a car and pick a lock but i don't know who i am why can i do these things um, that's always like a fun, weird premise. So, and she, so she takes a little bit of that. Um, it's just really exciting, and her characterization of Black Widow, um, there, there's a real emotional core because it's a revenge story. So you get why you believe that Black Widow really loved the people she was brainwashed into falling in love with, and um, now she wants to like fight for them. And I didn't yeah. really believe that she stood for anything because she was always written with really flat emotions in the past uh, ten years or so. Yeah. Yeah, and even even like the best Black Widow series of the last whatever. Uh maybe not the best. The one I enjoyed the most. You're talking about the, the Samney Wade, Wade one? Yeah, the Samney Wade one. Uh which is that very was mostly just an excuse to have cool art and cool spy art. Yeah, a really cool series, but not a cool Black Widow series. It doesn't make me want to read more stuff yeah. with the character. It's just like uh it's cool like Mobius Silver Surfer is cool. Yeah. Um but not to knock Samney or or Wade. Yeah, Wade knew how to write to Samney because they had just done so much great work together. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But Kelly, uh, the Kelly Thompson Black Widow book is just um. I love it. I, it's another one of my new favorites that I, I read eagerly every time a new one drops. And I wasn't expecting that because I usually have low expectations for most Black Widow series, and they get quickly canceled. And I hope this one runs for as long as Immortal Hulk. Yeah, and Kelly Thompson also has the unfortunate, not reputation, but like she has had many multiple series just canceled but thankfully a lot more of her series have been surviving which is very nice because she's she's great i really like her writing and she's only gotten better yeah there's a patron who uh, comes into the library i work at who um is an older gentleman who uh specifically loves her work he loves her hawkeye he he was reading the fraction hawkeye and then he kept on reading it when it was kelly thompson and he's an Mm old-time comic guy he's been collecting since the 60s and uh, now he reads anything that kelly thompson writes so i am certain he's reading this black widow book and i wish that the library was open and I could see human beings because I would love to talk to him about it. Yeah. Yeah. Did he read Heart in a Box? Um, I doubt it. He mostly reads her Marvel stuff. Oh, okay. Um, he's just been collecting re- since like Fantastic Four. You know, he's one of those guys. Damn. Yeah, lo- you love talking to those guys. They got stories. Um, oh, yeah. All right. So we were just talking about surprises and my pessimism is now um, going to settle back in for our biggest <laughs> disappointment of 2020. <laughs> All right, so I I picked two. Okay. I picked two because I, I had to. Um, my biggest disappointment had to be Empire and Amazing Spider-Man. Now, I have been very down on the Spencer Spider-Man basically since day one. Part of it's ill will from Secret Empire. Part of it is I don't love his writing. <laughs> Part of it is... Can I say, I really appreciate you being um, explicit and honest about that. I feel like people are always are like, oh, I don't want to hold his previous work against him. And you're like, I hold his previous work no. against him. And I think that's really fair. No, yeah. it's 
I, I did, and it's important to acknowledge, because if I didn't, then I probably would have been a lot more positive at the beginning. I didn't like the Hunted run. The Hunted arc really, that really hurt it a lot. There's been arcs uh, I don't like, more. but I did like the Hunted a lot. Uh, I was... I think it it didn't help that Marvel pulled the bullshit that they were pulling during that they're currently pulling in Last Remains where they've got the dot dot H U yeah dot that LR. shit's I'm killing like, just me just make it a mini series yeah that that shit Jesus. that shit really does kill me I um I in Hunted I just I really liked this Craven character he did I liked what he did with Craven and I liked the clone thing I thought that was just like clever comic book bullshit that got oh, to I, I was. Oh no. Um, I, I, like all the fucked up stuff where the clones had to kill, each, hunt each other. I thought that was like a fun Craven villain story. And then I also like that. Um, ever since Craven's last hunt, where at the end of which Craven dies, uh, and being the definitive Craven story, it's really hard to bring Craven back. So I like that he killed original Craven in a way that will like let him get to rest. And now we have this like new, young, strong clone version of Craven. Um who we can, like, do different bullshit with without disrespecting the one who died so uh, yeah, dramatically. I, I I can appreciate that. I just, I have not read Craven's Last Hunt. I didn't really know, I don't know much about Craven outside of the animated series or <laughs> uh, his character in Squirrel Girl, which, very different because Squirrel Girl does its own thing. Uh, it's better thing, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, it just... But this year... Amazing Spider-Man, it had one issue that got me. The issue right before, I think it was issue 41, right before Sin's Rising. And I really liked that issue. Which issue is that, Remind me? Uh, It's the one where it's just Peter being sad on the phone, kind of recapping what's been happening to him over the last 40 issues. Uh, and being like, there's some something that, that I've noticed. And it's the one where he's... He was going to propose to Mary Jane, and like we see the ring, right? But he didn't get to because she was out in uh, Movie Land and uh, the Leigh Williams series. But yeah, it was it was. I just thought it was it was maudlin in the best way, and I really enjoyed that issue. And I was like, oh, maybe Spencer's gonna turn it around for me. Um, and then it just let me down issue after issue more and more until we got to issue 50 and I was just like no fuck this it's definitely this no, 850 this last remain story has definitely been a huge bummer for me and um, is the first arc where I'm really checked out since the, the whole series started there's been and a couple of times really stinks for me at least is that he's really he's playing on a lot of J. Michael Straczynski things he's referencing a lot from that run that did slot really reference the arc that the arcs that came before him except for like Spider-Verse and whatnot? Yeah, a slot gets a by I mean the slot run is tremendous. It's very long in terms of size. So it, it yeah. just it covers but, I mean, a lot of I rounds. know a lot of writers like don't tend to always work great on the direct preceding run. Um specifically with the slot run at the beginning of it he I think that he's forbidden from mentioning a lot of the Straczynski stuff because they had just done this like Fair. back to basics brand new day thing, right? There weren't like single Peter Parker living in the apartment fighting uh new costume crooks and there's no yeah. more like weird mystical spider bullshit. Yeah. But then um by like you never read Spider Island? No. Well, you'd I've like Spider Island. Uh but by the end of Spider Island there's a lot of um like uh, Kane comes back from the clone saga, but then he meets the other and he makes a cocoon and he comes out with like the weird spider stingers on his wrists. 
Okay. And like, uh, the slot brings a bunch of that stuff back, and there's a whole um, okay. bunch of spinoff series about um, Straczynski ideas. I'll recommend them to you. I, I know you dig that stuff, and it's really cool. Yeah. So, like, because Spencer, and I guess Spencer Rosenberg, because that's who who's writing the the dot lr issues i am not keeping up uh, at this moment i, I fell yeah, off of the it. dot lr issues are a lot more fun <laughs> because it's got dr strange and because it's it's clearly hinting at the uh deal with mephisto actually finally being uncovered and directly addressed this is my speculation but it really feels like spencer wants to if not undo it which I know a lot of Spider fans, I think I I might be one included that would like that to be undone, but I would like it to at least be addressed and discussed and analyzed in universe. Because so far it's kind of been that not talked about. Like it's been really, it's been taboo to even approach it. It's like, no, you don't even approach one more day. Right. Um, I promise, Elias, I will start reading the series again in solidarity with you because I know that you're struggling with it, but you're braving through it anyway, and what's my excuse? Yeah. I actually kind of like the series most of the time. <laughs> Why, thank you. And then Empire, it it sold us a bill of goods that it didn't deliver. Uh, some of that was a good thing. Some of it was a bad thing. And it just, we, we talked at length about Empire before it, but it, it was one of the big disappointments because I I was looking forward to it. Uh, even if I was like, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it, because I trust Al Ewing uh, enough. And yeah, it it was all right. Didn't help that COVID probably made some some problems with it, but I think it just cut mostly tie-ins. And uh, honestly, that's for the best. Um, I think a really fun thing to do would be to go back to our disappointments a year from now. And um, see if, uh, looking back on them, we still feel strongly. Hmm, that's um, fair. That might be one, interesting. One will be very different because Empire was is over. Yeah, for example. Because um, as for me, my biggest disappointment of 2020 was Donny Cates' Thor, which I'm sure you <laughs> agree Vindication. about. Um, now, Elias, uh, listeners, loathes Donny Cates' Thor, and Elias is also the person who, for MultiversityComics.com, uh, covered the entire Jason Aaron run, every issue beginning to end, missing nothing, in order, reviewing it, going through it intimately. Elias is arguably one of the national experts on Jason Aaron Thor, <laughs> and so whatever he read after that was going to be um, uh, dealing yeah. with his excised feelings about Thor, which is a more than legitimate uh, reading experience, and so for him, this book is... Uh, anathema is toxic trash that he cannot consume. Yep. Um, I've tried. It's, yeah, I'll let you speak. Well, that's not my experience, because I didn't just read all of Jason Aaron Thor, although I did read it, and it's great, and I love it. Um, but I was just looking forward to Donny Cates' Thor. It was announced around the time he was doing um, uh, the, what was that Carnage uh, event called? Oh, Absolute Carnage. Yeah, Absolute Carnage, which I was having a blast with. I thought that was a ball. Um, I and he, I thought he had a great uh, great sense of tone, great sense of pacing, just like a fun little event about characters I normally don't care for. And he was doing Thor, and it looked cool, and he was talking about heavy metal in all the right ways, and I was digging the first couple issues. But man, there's just something a little bit off about this book, and I keep going back to it, and I like a bunch of the ideas and the designs, uh, but something about it's not clicking, and it's just a bummer to me because I really feel like... Um, I, I wish I, I could put a finger on exactly what it is. It's just a little bit too loose... 
uh, the ideas uh, don't feel fully formed. But, like, right now there's this interesting thing where there's this villain version of Donald Blake, um, which is an idea that's been done before in the past, but I kind of like this take on it. You know, and this is how I feel about everything. I'm like, oh, this is kind of an interesting idea that's been done before more coherently, but, like, maybe you have something here. That's I, I, that's why it's disappointing to me. I don't yeah. hate the book as much as you. I just, um, I really wish it was, I, I was enjoying it more. I, I get that. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that way about his Venom book because I very much enjoyed the first arc. I've enjoyed other arcs, but, like, there's something about it that's just been kind of... Eh. I uh, he's, he's kind of circling the same ideas over and over again. I guess so. I uh, I don't I don't really love Eddie Brock, so I I go in and out of that I book. Mean, neither but every, do I. But every time I dip into that book, I'm always like, oh, this is pretty fun. Um, yeah. I just I definitely like his Eddie Brock more than I have anyone else ever writing the character ever 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 ever. I mean, he just came back from the future. Yeah, I read a bunch of that future arc. That was super fun. I like the Agent Venom design coming back. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, but uh, Donny Cates' Thor, um, I would be really interested to revisit that in the year and see if maybe um, reading it in trade makes it better. And if uh, when it, there's a couple more arcs of it to read in a row, it has more time to breathe. I don't know. Maybe it could work out. We'll see. Uh, keeping with our pessimism streak, uh, we've, we've made oblique and also direct reference to the fact that comics stopped for a while uh, because of the pandemic. Um I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say other than because I don't want to make light because the pandemic has been, oh, it's so bad. Everybody knows about it because it's happening to yeah, everybody. Everyone knows about it. We've been speaking ad nauseum, and it's just this is a Marvel podcast. Um, I want to talk Marvel stuff, but well, no, so that's because of it. If we're talking about our year in twenty twenty, like my all my reading habits changed because of COVID. I uh, there was a while when I was having trouble reading comics just because I was like at home and it was messing with. I know a lot of people have been having trouble focusing on reading. And my reading has really deteriorated. I've been listening to a lot more podcasts, actually. Um, it's interesting. My reading uh, fixed itself. Uh, yeah, I've been making more because of... I finished grad school. But <laughs> yeah, I've been making more of an effort lately. I know some people who have, have been reading strong, but I know a lot of people. I'm not the only one who's yeah. uh, who's been struggling. Um, but one of the ways I was struggling was that series uh, were canceled because. Um, COVID uh, led to the cancellation of a bunch of comic series, like explicitly so, and uh, implicitly with some others. And yeah. uh, Elias and I are both going to highlight one series that we thought uh, was real. Uh, we were uh, sad to see it go. Yeah, and we're not we're not addressing, as far as I know, uh, any of the ones that are still in limbo. Like Runaways for a while was, it was not announced to have been ended, but now it's back. Thank God. I love that series. But... There, there are still a few series that are kind of in that they were announced and they haven't been rescheduled yet or their issues never finished. Uh, so as far as I know, we're not going to be talking about any of those. I could be wrong. I'm well, what's not, your pick, Elias? I picked, my, I picked uh, Ghost Spider. I've talked about it before. I really like Spider-Gwen. Spider-Gwen was actually the first issue I ever reviewed for the site. Really? The, and... the debut issue? No. No, no, I started, uh, I think it was at the beginning of the Daredevil Hand arc. Oh, right that's before, a good one. Right before Gwenum. I love Spider-Gwen. Uh, and while I had my problems as the series went on, whatever, I love the character. And I have been following every every iteration since. And uh, Shannon McGuire took over. She is a writer. She's been writing for years. 
I think she's primarily a horror writer. Uh, fantasy is more her genre, I think. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I didn't know anything about her before she came in. And but she's been writing a really, I don't want to say good or interesting because those words. I like, you've been really enjoying. Um, yeah, I've been really enjoying it, and I was looking forward to seeing where Ghost Spider was going to go. Now that she was commuting back and forth between dimensions, which <laughs> I loved that idea. Uh, and we had just gotten uh, a Miles Warren arc, and we got the sweetest Bodega Bandit. So great. I was getting ready to get that good, good interpersonal drama, because uh, now that Peter is an adult, we don't get the same, you know, a- a- agonizing uh, over school, and although he's still back in grad school <laughs> um but it, it's not quite the same and we've got miles in high school and now uh spider gwen in college so it's a very different dynamic of the spider the spider suffering i guess is could call it and i was looking forward to where it was going it felt like it was building up uh a, a good supporting cast and it was just in the early days of the series and it already got split by first in spider geddon as a tie-in and then got expanded and then got canceled not canceled renamed after 10 issues because uh, there was basically to transition the name in the eyes of everyone from spider gwen to spider gwen ghost spider to them calling her ghost spider which i really like the name and it fits the costume i know other people don't um uh, yeah i'm one of those she'll other always people. be spider gwen <laughs> she's just yeah she's i but ghost spider i think is a good way of giving her a code name that's not spider woman well, I, who cares? She could be, they call her, it's like a, with Kate Bishop Hawkeye. You could call her whatever. You could call her Spider-Woman. That's what the people of her world call her, but all her friends call yeah. her Spider-Gwen. And you can call her Spider-Gwen on the cover, whatever. But her, but her identity's secret. Yeah, well, we know she's no Spider-Gwen. No knows she's Gwen. Right, so they call her Spider-Woman. Yeah. But we call her Spider-Gwen. I just don't think this is that confusing. If we could have two Hawkeyes, we can have a Spider-Gwen who's really a Spider-Woman. Um, I just think the name Ghost Spider is really cool. Yeah, I know people. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't so, uh, I'm not a huge uh, opponent to the yeah. name. I just um, but it finished its run at, in issue ten. It ended digitally, and they were like, "But don't worry, Gwen will be back at some point." And I was like, "Oh no, don't give us a new team. Bring back the old team." I it was uh, so much fun. I wasn't as excited about this current team, so I'm I'm interested. If they do something that really excites me, um, I'm I would be happy to be brought back on in. This run wasn't working as good for me as it was for you, but not to yeah. yuck your yum. I uh, that's fair enough. <laughs> I I really like previous runs, so I'm I'm having a similar thing that you do with Thor, the, the singular run. Yeah, I well, you know, they cut it up so many times, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The the end of that was he was definitely out of ideas and and spinning his wheels. Um, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. I'd be happy to see something fresh and new. But I was mourning a series that I bet you had no regard for whatsoever. Let's find out. And that is Agents of Wakanda was killed by COVID, and I thought that was so sad. Yeah. Did you... I enjoyed it, but clearly you enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah, I just love every so often you get a Marvel book, and the premise is um, just like every issue is the craziest comic book idea we can think of, and it's just like <laughs> the moon people are just trying to steal our minds again and use them to grow a big tree or something. <laughs> And, yeah. um, and, but so the point of it is just to have like a great, um, the, the TV show, I think that captures what I'm talking about the best is Legends of Tomorrow. 
Oh, yeah. We're just like some bullshit's yeah. happening in every episode, and it's really silly and ridiculous. But what's fun is that the big, uh, high, larger-than-life characters are all playing off of each other, and the, the, right? and the writing is good, and it's just like a... A fun little zippy book. And that's what Agents of Wakanda was. It was so fun to see Brew and Fat Cobra on a team with uh, Puck and uh, Mockingbird and uh, Roz Solomon, who I love. <laughs> and uh, Okoye, right? Just like a bunch of crazy... A mishmash of silly Marvel characters on silly adventures. I knew that book was going to not be... Uh, run. You know, I'd be lucky if it got 12 issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what made its cancellation feel even sadder, because I was like, oh, it's still going at, like, 9 or whatever. Maybe it'll make it uh, past 12. And then it got struck down. Yeah. Yeah. That was sad. A, a lot of these cancellations were sad, because they were good series. Uh, un- although, for once, Marvel doesn't have a lot of bad series that have survived, even though there are ones that, like, I don't like and probably think should be ending. Um, they won't. Uh, versus the direct competition, which I am constantly baffled why some of these series are still being published. Totally. At Marvel right now, there's a lot of very good and great series. Um, yeah, and so it sucks and... that a lot of these got canceled for low sales, but it's not surprising necessarily. No. But it is tragic. Okay. The next one, though, I think is fun because it's a little more um, interpretive. I told Elias, and I also, uh, to pick a character of the year, and I didn't tell him what that means. So, Elias, how did you interpret character of the year? Uh, I interpreted that as the character whom, I guess I was going to say that I loved the most, but really that I think had the most interesting stuff to do all year. Mm -hmm. And I really hope I picked the right, because, again, this is the year that's felt like a decade so I hope I, I didn't wasn't thinking of stuff that happened last year for the character. I mean, that's fair. But I picked from my favorite series, Betty Ross. Betty Ross from Immortal Hulk? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So why I, so you think Betty Ross was the most interesting character in Marvel in twenty twenty? For me. Yeah, definitely for you. I had the I had the I think she was the most interesting. Uh I might have said uh Emperor Doric the Thirteenth. I came very close to picking if, him. He was my uh, if Empire hadn't been such a tremendous letdown, but I uh, I liked Empire and I almost picked him. I thought he had a really uh, he was part of a really great Ooh. story for his character this year that really like advanced him. That's fair. I I get I get that, but yeah, but Betty Ross. Uh, I just I I didn't really have much uh, interaction with the character outside of the movies, which... <laughs> she's not a character uh, I've uh, historically liked either. I mean, she, she the, she's there to get done dirty, basically. Pretty much. And then to be sad and, that she's being done dirty and um, never have the focus on her, so she's just, like, dragging down the protagonists, and that's a terrible place to put a character. So it's cool that or, she gets a year where, the, where she's the main character. Yeah, and so for those... Uh, spoilers for Immortal Hulk, but Betty Ross is, is shot in the head and killed, I think, by Puck. This was last year, I think. I think she was killed last year. Uh, I don't remember how many issues she was dead for. Uh, maybe one or two. But as this is the Immortal Hulk, and all the Hulks are like this, she comes back as this harpy creature. And she doesn't really talk. She she talks only in like short Hulk sentences only when bruce is around when bruce is gone she looks like betty again and it's that dynamic 
is what made her the most interesting to me. It's trying to understand who Betty is now, what she's thinking, what she she wants out of life, why why she kind of, I assume is basically blaming Bruce, but also doesn't really want to face him as the human self. She only wants to face him as the Hulk self. Or it's, when Bruce is so around, he treats her like she's his harpy wife. Yeah. And uh, when he's gone, she like feels like she can be herself because uh, he's so um, such a loud presence in her life ever since she met him, right? Like, uh, yeah, she's been so she, she's been so catastrophically shaped by encountering this guy that like just being around uh, him like like shape shifts her. And since it's a body horror thing, that's like a really horrifying uh, expo- Your agency is being exploited. Yeah, and I just love everything about Betty and I really hope we get to see more and explore more about her in future issues that's like a so I love that pick that's like classy and literary and you have to think critically about what we read <laughs> I approach this question completely differently did um, you pick Fat Cobra? no I didn't pick Fat Cobra Fat Cobra the year of Fat Cobra was 2012 he had the best 2012 um, oh, okay. I picked my character of the year was Miles Morales ooh um, why is that? Miles Morales um, has had a bunch of really good years lately. He had a hit movie, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, Probably the best superhero movie of the last 20 years. I will, uh, ever. It's one of my favorite movies. I just, Into the Spider-Verse, I love, 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 actually. Um, and uh, he, was, he started in a video game that came out this year. And that felt significant to me in a really big way because this wasn't like... Um, this wasn't like a cell phone game or like an indie title by uh, an indie studio like uh, Telltale or something that got released um, and a bunch of gamers got it. Like everyone was looking mm-hmm. forward to this. The PlayStation 5s came out with like Miles Morales editions, right, that were like in his colors and everything. Yeah. yeah he He's the desirable item. It's not uh, to everybody. Everyone is like, oh, my God, and have you played the Miles Morales game? And I got non-comic book fans coming up to me, and they were so excited to play the Miles Morales game, and they're so excited that it's Miles Morales, and they're telling me how his powers are different. I just feel like um, he, there's like this wonderful realm that superhero characters can still get into when they go from being a niche interest to really uh, leaving a huge impact on the culture at large. Mm-hmm. And um, Miles has been like really slowly doing that, and he's continued to be like a really exciting character so many years after his debut and getting more exciting and crossing over into other media and while like still being focused on in the comics. And that's so rare that the build, I think that's the goal when you create a character is for this to happen. Um, yeah. I, I almost picked Kamala Khan for the same reason, although the game she was in was uh, not marketed as a Ms. Marvel game and it should have been. <laughs> um, it would have been, how cool would it have been in 2020 was the game, the year that Ms. Marvel and Miles Morales games came out, and everyone was like, yeah, I'm so excited. Have you heard about Kamala Khan? And I'll be like, yeah, I have heard about Kamala Khan. She was in this comic 10 years ago. That ruled. It would be really interesting. And it is very interesting also that, that Saladin Ahmed is writing both books. That's true. Um, that's true. Both books, which um, I've run hot and cold on this year, and I've, I've liked a bunch of issues of, um, but they're not, I liked his other Marvel stuff, uh, Exiles especially, a lot. Yeah, I think his 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 weirder stuff is more fun, but I'm really liking uh, Miles Morales. Yeah, the Miles one, I'm getting um, he's getting into a groove with, and I there's I like a bunch of the I'm trying to be, to be vague. I don't want to. Well, we can. I like the conflict and the new villains he's creating. I like how he's bringing in the other version of Miles because that was always an interesting thread in the background. Yeah, and he's finally doing something that feels worthwhile with it. 
I'm a little less crazy about the like uh, teenage drama stuff. I something about the way he writes it is not. Um, I guess I like Riverdale too much, and his is a little bit too cool. And like, that cool is not the right word either. Um, but like, You're cash... talking to the guy who reviews Riverdale every week. I get what you mean. <laughs> but but I, I don't mean cool like the kids are cool. I mean cool like like he's it's like laid back. It's just like a laid back story of like um, cool versus warm. Yeah, well, but like uh, I like my teenage stories to be like manic, I guess, and this is very. Um... You want it to be wildly over the top and soap operatic, and this is a little bit too restrained. Yeah, like uh, the kids are good. They uh, play hooky and try to go to the museum, and then there's like a subway stoppage because a supervillain is attacking. Um, is like totally yeah. fine, but like going to the museum with your friends is such a laid back teenage activity. And then it's like a little badass because they're like maybe playing hooky or they're sneaking away from their teachers or whatever. But it's not like super transgressive. Um, I'm not looking for transgressive, but it's not like super dramatic and exciting. I like um, it's not like the D and D cult <laughs> or um, like the, um, the underground boxing fight club that the, the teens are doing. And I was like, oh no, I can't box with my spider strength. <laughs> It's just like I'm it's just not like superhero enough. Yeah, I'm just like it's vibing on a different wavelength for me. But um, there's been issues that I really right. liked. I'm I'm enjoying that. I'm I'm loving that kind of stuff. Um, so. I'm glad. I still think. I that being said, I picked Miles. I think um, it's cool that there's new stories being told in the comics. They're gonna get adapted. We're still figuring the character out, and he's just his profile mm-hmm. is growing every year, and I think that's so rad. Totally. And now we can look forward to his next movie. I and do so tremendously. Oh my god! And Miguel O'Hara is going to be in that. Don't even. It's going to be. And isn't he voiced by Oscar Isaac? He sure is. Maybe maybe we should call that year the year of Oscar Isaacs. Um. Well, because he's going to be Moon Knight. He's going to be Miguel O'Hara. And then when Solid Snake happens, I'm going to die. So. <laughs> all right. Next. You got all the recessive genes. <laughs> I didn't know you were an MGS fan, Elias. Uh, I played through the entire first game. It took me six hours to beat the second to last boss. Oh my! Because God. I beat him, and then the system crashed. Uh, that those were the days. Um, yeah, <laughs> one of my favorites ever. Metal Gear Solid is my ultimate problematic fave. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> So for the second to last category, um, I thought we could spotlight, uh, put a special spotlight on a creator, just someone we wanted to shout out to who we thought deserved a lot of recognition for their 2020 that maybe they otherwise wouldn't get. Yeah, so uh, we kind of have already talked about mine. It's uh, Jean Glenn Young. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, he's great. I, I loved his Zhang-Chi, and I, we kind of already said our piece about him, but I just wanted to make sure to spotlight him. Uh, and I tried very hard to avoid all of the uh, X writers because we've talked ad nauseum about them. Even if I think there are some creators that we should talk about more, I wanted to avoid that. Um, that's for, for uh, so for me, I picked um, somebody who only wrote one issue this year, but I thought it was so cool, and I hope to see him write more. Ooh, and that is who could it be? Anthony Oliviera. Ah. Um, who uh, collaborated with Chip Zdarsky to do the um, Lords of Empire, Emperor Hulkling number one, I believe is the proper title. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Oliveira, you know, I couldn't even tell you what the dude does for a living otherwise. I do follow him on Twitter, um, and that's embarrassing, I guess, that I don't know. Or I guess it's not, because that's not how he uses his Twitter. But he uh, tweets about, um, like, a queer lens a medieval lit a lot. Um, which I like, like that's that's his kind of vibe, 
and mm-hmm. um, he wrote the, uh, just like a delightful one-shot issue. And I loved his voice and his perspective. I loved um, seeing Hulkling do like normal stuff living in New York City as like a fun person and having friends and having his friends be like a mess and having like mm-hmm. just just and the, the emotionality. I loved that one shot. It was one of my favorite issues of the year by a mile. And Anthony Oliviera is a great writer, it turns out. Um, I should read all – I'm sure he writes other stuff elsewhere, and I should pursue it all. But I would love to see him doing more Marvel stuff. I think he's uniquely good at it. He's got a lot of heart and a lot of personality, and he's funny. Yeah, he. it was a great issue. And f- from everything that Chip Zdarsky has said, he's basically like, I just helped him make sure it worked as a comic. He did everything else. Um, and how cool is that, too, to have someone to help you do that? Because as we – see it's a tough transition if you're a different type of writer but some people have really worthwhile voices that i would love to see brought into comics totally so speaking of voices it is time for the final category our creator of the year uh yeah so i thought of this more as someone who was like emblematic of 2020 so i picked i kind of picked someone that i thought kind of blew me away in the year uh, and I felt like this was their year at Marvel. And it should be noted that I was thinking writer versus instead of artist, colorist, letterer, uh, which shows our bias. Sure. And I can't deny it. You're uh, right. It, it comes up a lot. Yeah. So because that's why I was like creator of the year. But I mean, there's some artists drawing at Marvel that just like Marco Cicchetto. Who we talked about earlier. Absolute and... Joe Bennett killing it oh yeah no, I, I picked I got... a, a writer i picked a writer as well yeah so maybe we'll have to fix that for next year but i picked teeny howard um elias i don't want to stop you before you get a head of steam going or anything but i also picked teeny howard <laughs> um but i that's great that if we, that's amazing we picked the same one we both picked teeny howard because teeny howard uh, was totally emblematic of marvel in 2020 to me Teeny Howard mm-hmm. was at the core of a bunch of different corners of the universe doing, like, really important work that was being felt in other books. Um, yeah. And her voice is relevant, and her perspective is strong, and she's really talented. Um, and did she—I don't know if she just, like, signed an exclusive contract or anything with Marvel recently. I think she might have. I That's the kind of news I don't really keep up with. I Yeah, I, I have keep up, and then now I, I guess that's showing— but um, but she seems to be like sticking around and like wanting to write Marvel comics and be on, in their uh, bullpen of writers for a little while, and that could not be better news to me about like the future of the quality of Marvel books. I think that uh, she is an example of why we feel like so much of Marvel is good right now, and why a lot of the books that aren't working aren't working for dumb reasons, like at the Distinguished Competition, like this like terrible sex offender who's been writing comics for fifty years that we can't get out of the industry, uh, won't get out of the industry, and he also is writing like a major bat book or something yeah and and an artist who oh god i not to not to say that bad stuff doesn't sometimes happen at marvel too just that teeny yeah, howard is emblematic we're of the... be talking about it in a few months yes but but teeny howard is uh, emblematic of um of the good things happening at marvel and if that represents the direction i'm like so optimistic because um i love her uh fantasy bullshit and I love um, her character work, and I love her affection for obscure characters that she brings into the spotlight in a really um, 
dynamic and fun way. My favorite thing is I love her history with fandom, which um, I see a lot of myself and my friends in, right? Where uh, she used to write fan fiction and relate to the characters in a lot of way that a lot of people who um, I'm friends with um, also do. And that's like a fun person to have creating the comics because we always dream of how would we do it? And now you look to Timmy Howard and uh, it's like, oh, if I was as talented, that's what I would do. Those sorts of ideas. <laughs> it's a sensibility, you know? Yeah. Um, Teeny blew it out of the water this year. Probably because she was given the reins to the big X-Men event. Now, we've said before it's very collaborative, but Teeny and Hickman were the... They were the architects of the event. The showrunners, if you will. Yeah, and it really shows. It shows, and my favorite issue of Empire X-Men was the Howard Hickman one, the first one. Uh, the fourth one was also pretty good, but, like, that first issue. Yeah, that first issue, was, it was a riot, and it had, like, big ideas, and they really had a – they're such a great uh, team, the, the pair of them. Yeah, and I can't wait to see more more from Teeny Howard, see what's going to happen in Excalibur, see if she takes up any other series or if she's going to be specifically helping in the in the X-Men realm. I love her non-Marvel series. I love her, like, goth horror sensibilities. I love her vampire shit. Um, I really wish Black Crown hadn't been shuttered so we could get more euthanauts. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, Tinny Howard represents uh, the best of comics to me in 2020, and I, you know, I hope we pick someone different for 2021. Maybe an, oh, yeah. an artist, but um, I hope that uh, they, what's good about them is what's good about Tinny Howard. I hope that represents what we continue to celebrate and what we love about Marvel. Totally. Um, Speaking of, yeah, good old Hickman. Next time, next time we're to talking our book club, the one we erroneously <laughs> chatted up. Uh, a, a good a good while ago, a couple of couple times ago, I blamed it, it on is... a misadventure in scheduling. Yeah, uh, I blamed it on a, a worm time hole that I fell into. A worm we time hole. Those shield. Are, those are dangerous. We are talking shield. Uh, by Jonathan Hickman and Dustin Weaver. It is thirteen issues. There's two series, six issues each, and a one shot. So the reading order is Volume 1, 1 through 6, which is collected as Architects of Forever, Forever, and then Shield Infinity, which if you're reading in the trades, is at the end of the second trade, uh, and then Shield Volume 2, 1 through 6, which is collected as The Human Machine. So. And I wonder if we'll like it. Jake. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> but we'll find out. Let's uh, find I've out. I've read it before. Um, Jake. Yes, Where can they find you on the larger interwebs? Well, I'm a contributor to, multiver to multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website. Um, you can find me writing about X-Men in the Mutantversity column, and sometimes I do other stuff too. Um, I tweet on Twitter at rambling underscore moose, um, and sometimes it's about comics, and sometimes it's not. And uh, I try to keep it light and fun and put some uh, happiness into the world when I can. Elias, what about you? Where are you found? If people felt so inclined. I can be found uh, on Twitter fairly infrequently at Quetzal-ish, Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. That is an acronym, and it stands for... <laughs> you, you, don't, you got it? You don't got it? No, I'm just going to leave the silence. <laughs>
Uh, thank you guys. We're looking forward to it. Uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye.